Kurt and Future Onophiles. This is Allie. And this is Adrian. And we are the, the Bottle Blondes. We think wine is delicious, but we know that learning about it can be pretty overwhelming. We use our love of comedy to make learning about wine fun and approachable because we are learning about it too. In improv, mistakes are gifts. And boy, are we going to make some mistakes. So thanks for coming on this ride with us. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and SoundCloud at Bottle Blondes Wine. Give us a listen, and if you like our podcast, leave us a review. And for pictures of the wine we drink for the cast and our other adventures in wine, follow us on Instagram at Bottle Blondes Wine and on Twitter at Blondes Wine. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. All right, Bottle Blondes episode 10. It's our 10th episode. 10th episode. That's so exciting. Welcome to Bottle Blondes, everyone. Yes, it's the unstuffy wine podcast for funny people where... The two of us try to make wine accessible to all while learning about it and saying lots of things wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, Adri and I uh, collaborate together on a specific uh, grape or region, but uh, this is something we've kind of had uh, in the back of our minds for a little bit. We're calling this episode Convince Me. Uh, So essentially, we um, each have a varietal that we are trying to convince the other one that they should like more because uh, we have not been historically uh, fans of that particular varietal. Yeah, and this kind of came about just naturally as we were going to tastings and we were kind of going like, "Uh, you know, I don't really gravitate towards this one or... Maybe we just don't know quite much, quite as much about it, or it hasn't come up quite as much in um, the, the coverage that we've done so far, and I'm very, very, very excited about this one. So what are our grapes, Adrian? Um, well, my grape that I have chosen to um, abstain from... Poo-poo on? Poo-poo on, that's a better way to say um, I am not a big fan of Pinot Gris slash Pinot Grigio, and Pinot Gris and Pinot Grigio, from my understanding, uh, I have not done the research on this, Hallie will be the expert that will fill in later, but they're the same type of grape, and they are just made in different styles, Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris are just two different styles of the same grape. Um, I also understand that Pinot Gris is a distant relative of the Pinot Noir, Um, it just has less pigmentation in it. Yes, yes, I will definitely elaborate uh, more on those things shortly. Uh, And I chose Mm -hmm. um, a red varietal, uh, which is Malbec. Mm -hmm. And I've historic, every single time I feel like I have a Malbec, it's very. I don't know. It just tastes like unstructured grape juice to me. Flabby. It's, it's Yeah, flabby is a word I tend to use a lot with Malbec. Um, and from what I understand of it is it has really found its uh, home uh, in Argentina. Totally. So I think its native roots are maybe in France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go into that later. You're on the right track, yeah. though. Um, but that, that's, it's the, um, it's, and on the 17th, which is coming up soon, we're recording this, uh, I think, I believe it's the 14th of April, mm-hmm. Year of Our Lord, Year 2000, of Our Lord, 2019. 2019. <laughs> <laughs> and that World Malbec Day is, is coming up, so I'm sure Adrian will tell me more about what that's about. Yeah, it's really timely and exciting. Um, I didn't explain why I don't like Pinot Grigio. Um, I find it to be very acrid. And in its its aftertaste, um, I've grown more accustomed to white wines. Um, you know, I started out in as like a red wine drinker. I was like, oh, I prefer red. Learned so much in a short amount of time about white and love it so much. But um, I find that 
Pinot Gris just has this really green taste that I can't get out of my mouth. It tastes a little chemically, and I don't like that. Um, and when it comes to Malbec, <laughs> Malbec was really one of the first wines that made me fall in love with wine. So I'm very excited to ah. hopefully change your mind. <laughs> I'm very excited for you to hopefully change mine because um, I've always wanted to be more like Liz Lemon. That's <laughs> <laughs> her drink of choice. And I feel like I'm very akin to Liz Lemon in a lot of ways. But um, I never liked Pinot Grigio, so hopefully I can get on the Liz Lemon train 100%. Well, you're in luck. Yes. <laughs> well, the train is uh, about to leave the station. Yeah, too, to jump on board. I'm going first because uh, that white. makes sense. Yeah, white, white first, white before red. Which isn't Otherwise, necessarily a super strict rule, but most people uh, tend to follow it. Uh, so let's, as Adrian was saying, uh, Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio uh, are the exact same grape. They are just different expressions. So Pinot Grigio, uh, I guess for the sake of this uh, rest of the podcast, until I'm specifically talking about a Grigio, I'm just going to go Pinot Gris. Okay, great. So Pinot Gris is actually a mutation uh, of Pinot Noir. So the grape is actually, it's a, it's a white grape, uh, but it, the skin color is more of a, a gray, uh, almost like burgundy color. So it's, it's like a mishmash. When you look at it, pictures of Pinot Gris grapes, they're very beautiful. They're, they're, they're a little green, they're a little gray, they're a little purple, they're a little blue. Like a marble. Yeah, they do look like a marble. So, so gris uh, means gray in okay. French, and then grigio is gray in Italian. So they call it the gray grape. Uh, which is why it is called that. The Grey Garden's Grape. It's the Grey Garden. The Grey Garden's Grape. <laughs> the little Edie Grape. The little Edie Grape. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I don't understand why these raccoons are in the kitchen <laughs> eating up all the cat food. <laughs> and I don't understand why we can't have visitors anymore. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> was that I'm best mid-Atlantic? I don't know. I was pretty good. Sounded a little uh, farmery to me. Uh, so it is... <clears throat> See, where was I at in my notes? So, Pinot Noir actually mutates very easily, uh, which is why we have this uh, variation. Cool. So, the grape itself is a uh, medium to high acidity, medium to low alcohol, minerally and dry to kind of fruity and dry, mm-hmm. all the way to uh, fruity and sweet. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, is it is it always a dry grape? No. Well, we're going to go into that shortly. So let's just go over um, some of the regions where it grows really quick, uh, and then some flavor notes, and then we'll just start getting into some names for it. Flavor notes. Flavor notes. Uh, But where it grows, uh, primarily in Italy, uh, the big regions there are Veneto, Trentino, Aldo Ridge, and Fruili? Fruili. Fruilia, exactly. Uh, It grows in France, in Alsace. Uh, it grows in the United States and Oregon, Central Coast, California. In Germany, it uh, grows in the Faults and the Baden regions. In Australia, it grows in the Adelaide Hills. And in New Zealand, you're going to find it um, a lot in the Marble region and Hawks it Bay. Everywhere. Wow. It I isn't didn't quite ex- realized. Yes. It, uh, I don't know about its, like, the world statistics, right. but I can tell you right now that it is the number one white grape in Italy. It is the number one white grape in Oregon. It is the number one white grape, uh, maybe a couple other places. It's a very, behind Chardonnay. Right. I mean, um, but it's, I think, believe it's behind Chardonnay in the United States as okay. well. That makes sense. Chardonnay's number one, Pinot Gris is number two in the United States. We like our big butter flavors here in America. Oh, yeah. Butter first. Butter first. 
Flavor sick. I mean, butter is flavor. I guess I shouldn't say yeah, that. Yeah, fat is flavor. Uh, a lot of the flavor notes you're going to get in this grape, uh, depending on the expression, uh, lemon and lime, uh, citrus zest are going to be more prominent in the Pinot Grigio style. Okay. Um, and then we get other common things that come up in the more Pinot Gris style are yellow apple, melon, peach, uh, and then another going back to Grigio, uh, you're going to get more minerally in the Grigio, so like gravel and stuff. Gravel so and stuff. What is the difference? And forgive me if I'm skipping ahead. You can tell me to shut the hell up. <laughs> what is the difference between Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris stylistically? Uh, like I was saying, Pinot Grigios are going to be uh, much more light. The Pinot, Gris- Pinot Grigios are harvested earlier. Got it. Okay. So that way it maintains the crisp acidity uh, and those citrus flavors. Pinot Gris style is harvested later, preserving more of those melon. Um, yeah, deep. So it's I wonder. Gonna... I wonder if there's any winemakers out there that are like, oh, do I want to make a Pinot Grigio or a Pinot Gris this year? I could do either or both. Yeah, and this is <laughs> and this is something that I found out. So one of the first regions we are going to be going over uh, is Alsace France. So Alsace France makes uh, what we're going to call a uh, old world style. Old world. Which is the later harvest, um, more marzipan, almond, honey, uh, so it's darker. And that style of France is the one that's mimicked by most New World regions, like Oregon and Australia and California. So um, Italy's style is more imitated by other Old World regions in France. I mean, excuse me, other Old World regions in Europe. Europe. Well, Interesting. Which, that was pretty redundant because the old world is Europe. So it's called a couple different things depending on where you're at. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, it's going to be Pinot Gris in uh, France and in uh, those New World regions. It, it still grows a little bit in Burgundy, France, where it's called Pinot Bureau. Uh In Italy, it's Grigio. In German, it's Ruhlander. In Austria, it's Grauer Burgunder, which literally translates to Grey Burgundy. Uh, and in Hungary, uh, I'm going to screw this up because apparently Hungarians have one of the most complicated languages in the entire world. Schutzkabaret. Nope. <laughs> it's literally S-Z-U-R-K-E-B-A-R-A-T. Those are, that's not a word. Zerkabarat. <laughs> which, which is a literal translation uh, for Pinot Gris. Okay. Who grows the most? That's a good question, Who Hallie. grows the most? Who oh. grows the most? Who la- so glad you asked yourself that. <laughs> Uh, So Italy grows the most Pinot uh, Grigio, as it's known in Italy. Uh, Number two is California. Number three is Germany. Number four is Australia. Number five is France. Number six is Hungary. Number seven is New Zealand. And I only went to eight because eight is Oregon. Wow. And we record from Oregon. We live in Oregon. We live in Oregon. Uh, So yes, Pinot Grigio is the most popular grape in Italy. Cool. And oh, there's that thing I was trying to fact check myself uh-huh. earlier. It's the second most popular white wine uh, in the U.S. after Chardonnay. So. Oh, I, that makes sense. That really does. Yeah. Confirmed. Uh, so just real quick, the abbreviated history, uh, the origin of this grape was in the Burgundy region of France, where it was called Fromenteau, uh, and it was there since the Middle Ages. Uh, and then around that time, it grew in popularity in Switzerland around the 1300s uh, or the 14th century. Ooh. It was a favorite of the emperor there. Uh, and then it was kind of migrated to Hungary, and it had a very uh, large prevalence in Hungary in 1375. It was uh, cultivated and grown and nurtured and loved and preyed upon by this. Preyed. <laughs> Sisterian monks. 
I mean, I meant like, like every time we mention monks, I want there to be like a sound effect with like, like chant. Yeah, exactly, like a Gregorian chant. I think, and by pray, like pray on, I don't mean like like a like a person about to attack another person. No, I, I just imagine like the monks like praying, praying by the on them, like yes. literally over them, blessing them, like singing them little like lullabies little. at night. Grow for me unto this day. Glory to all the vine. Okay. And then the nighttime falls. We're gonna release an album, which is just us pretending to be monks, uh, singing to grapes. grapes. Yeah. yeah. Dropping in two years. Twenty twenty one. We'll do it. Yeah, we gotta get the Kickstarter going. Uh, anyway, uh, after Hungary, uh, it kind of migrated over to Germany. So if you're looking at a map right now, you can kind of see that this is all in a very kind of like concentrated section of Europe right there. And then it kind of uh, grew out of favor in the 18th and 19th centuries and then had a nice big revival in Italy. Kind of like Chardonnay, this grape has had some stigma okay. uh, because it, with popularity comes stigma. And with popularity, sometimes it's high production, high yield, low quality. Which is why you may have found yourself not liking a lot of it because you've maybe been drinking the wrong ones because some of it is mass-produced garbage. Yeah, garbaggio. Pinot Grigio Garbaggio. (laughs) Oh, makes sense. (laughs) So that's the the skinny on the grape and the history. So now we're going to drink some wine. Yay, I'm excited. Get into some history. I'm excited to be challenged. All right, so I am going ballsy right off the bat. We are going to be having a wine from Alsace. Cool. Yes. So, um, oh, it is not a fully dry wine, I see. No, it is Woo! a it was a medium dry. So, Alsace is a region in France that pretty much is known for mostly only growing all white wines. Mm-hmm. 300 miles east of Paris, its major grapes or the noble grapes uh, of this region are Riesling, Gewürztraminer, Muscat, and Pinot Gris. Wow, okay. Exactly. Uh, this is one of the few wine regions in France that actually label by the grape variety rather than the region like the rest of France. Ah. So it's very easy to tell what you're drinking when That's you're drinking nice. wine from Alsace. Thank you, Alsace. Alsace. I said Alsace. 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 Um, and after Champagne, it is the second most northern uh, region in all of France. So even though it's north, it's still very sunny and dry because the Vosges Mountains um get less rain. There's like less rainfall in that okay. area. Uh, but Pinot Gris uh, from Alsace is more uh, full-bodied and aromatic. And most of the vineyards are on very steep slopes. Cool. <gasps> Oops, that was a nice color. And a big pour. <laughs> so this is a medium gold wine. Uh, my tasty notes on this, and I don't want to like, you know, put ideas in your head, but I got nectarine, pear, mango, honeysuckle, and a little bit of almond and marzipan. Uh, this is a very old uh, winery in Alsace, very well known. It's called Domaine Schlumperger. <laughs> yes. Oh, the Schlumpburgers. Oh, the yeah, Schlumpburgers. I'm very familiar with the Schlumpburgers. It's, I mean, the, the land, it's like wine has been cultivated in this area since uh, Roman times, and um, it's been in the family for six generations. In, 
I think this wine is very interesting. They also have to use something which I'm very obsessed with right now, which are called draught horses or draft horses, which are working horses that work the farm. So these are very specifically trained horses to work on slopes and hills so they don't get vertigo. <gasps> oh, yeah. The little horses don't get vertigo. That's nice. Mm-hmm. What? It is a heavier, yeah. It says Pinot Gris. Right? And these are, are not fermented in any oak. Um, they only use uh, stainless steel and uh, cement tanks. Hmm. Yeah, it still has a lot of minerality at the end, which honestly, I'm kind of like when when the wine is drier, um, I think I associate with like a more chemically taste. But when it's heavier, when it's a little off dry like this, it's kind of nice because it kind of cuts through it. And these particularly. Alsatian uh, Pinot Gris are supposed to go great with really creamy cheeses. What do you think of this one? Um, <clears throat> it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm not in love with it. Mm -hmm. I, if I'm going to be drinking a wine from Alsace, Alsace, wow, mm -hmm. my pronunciation of this region has changed <laughs> six times in the past five minutes. Um, I just prefer Riesling from this region, honestly, but. I think it's interesting mm -hmm. and not typical of what you would have mm -hmm. with the Pinot Gris. So this is the style that Oregon and a bunch of other New World regions tend to gravitate towards. Yeah. But not as hearty. It's soft, but it doesn't leave a huge impression on me. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, I like it, but it's not blowing my mind, I guess? Yeah. For me, more of the interestingness... In <laughs> With this wine is more the history of the land and this particular winery and how it's made. Yeah. I like drinking a wine when I know a horse plowed the earth. Because <laughs> I'm weird. I, um, I think something interesting too is it doesn't look like Pinot Gris at all. Like I associate Pinot Gris with kind of that like green tinge mm -hmm. and it, this doesn't like if you put this in front of me I would never guess Pinot Gris in a million years I would say probably a dry Riesling or something. Well, and the color is more, uh, looks like more like an unoaked Chardonnay, too. It doesn't smell like an unoaked Chardonnay, right? but it looks like an unoaked Chardonnay. All right, All so right. moving on, we're going to go uh, a little bit to the, uh, where's my map in my head? <laughs> Your head map. Whatever, we're going to Germany. <laughs> because, yeah, Germany, uh, as I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. where it is called, oh, Grauburgunder? Nope. Something with an R? Oh, yeah. Grulander. Oh. Yeah, Grauburgunder is Austria. We know that the darlings of Germany are more Sylvaner, Mueller, Thurgau, um, Riesling, and Kurtzmainer. But uh, Pinot Gris is also a popular grape in Germany. It grows, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, in uh, Faltz okay. and Baden. And what we have here is a 2017 from Villa Wolf, and what you'll notice on the label here is it says Ernst Lucen. Uh -huh. Ernst Lucen is a very famous German winemaker uh, from the Mosul region. Um, so he is a, like a white wine magician. He's actually partnered with uh, Chateau Saint Michel on their Aroika line of Riesling. Oh, yeah, which I believe we saw when we were uh, visiting uh, Chateau Saint Michel. So this is a pretty old winery um, from. Founded in 1756, it's called uh, Villa Wolf, mm -hmm. uh, but it was the estate of someone named J.L. Wolf, and 
Essentially, it fell into disrepair at some point, and then Ernst Luston came and kickstarted the vineyards back in 1996, turned the whole quality and reputation around, and then uh, brought in a young couple to finish or continue to run it in 2011. I just swirled so um, emphatically that I spilled some on the carpet. Thank goodness this is a white one. I'm getting a lot of floral notes, a little bit of pear. Because it's got a little bit of an oily uh, texture mm-hmm. and oily mouthfeel, which is going to be more common with Pinot Gris style. I really like this because it's like kind of heavy at first and it has like a nice zing yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. It's got a, light, a lot of light minerality that's lifting it up. This is very good. Yes, I really enjoyed this one. Very surprising. Huh. So, uh, Germany. Another great Germany, yeah. Way to go, Germany, Villa Wolf. Uh, moving right along. <clears throat> Time to go to Italy. So, I have two, uh, two wines from Italy. And I'm going to go a little bit more in depth about these ones. Because it's Italy's number one white grape. Mm-hmm. And where we're going to be having our Pinot Grigio. This looks like what I am familiar with. It looks green. <laughs> it does. It's very it's very light. Super pale. It's, very, it's incredibly pale. This is incredibly um, lemon zesty, lime zest. Oh, yeah. pa- papaya, which kind of has like a little um, yes. funk on it. Uh, very mineral, and to me, I also wrote down the unripe part of the watermelon, and that it's also like the rind, like picker, pickled watermelon rind, mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, very vegetal. So this is from um, the Santa Margarita uh, Winery, uh, and this is a very well-known winery in that region. Your face, oh my god. <laughs> this is what I don't like. Oh, <laughs> tastes like I'm drinking pine salt. <laughs> <clears throat> so this is from a very famous re- so Italy <laughs> this is from a very famous region in Italy uh, then Trattino Alto Adige I don't know if I'm saying that right sure A-D-I-G-E sorry Italy sorry we've really screwed you over we really have we love you though <laughs> so this is a very uh, mountainous region in northern Italy it sits with uh, around the Swiss yeah. and the Austrian Alps yes I'm picturing woolly sheep and stones woolly sheep <laughs> Uh, actually, um, Karen McNeil, author of the Wine Bible, mm-hmm. says the Alto Adige is one of the most beautiful wine regions in the world. Oh. Uh, so the reason it's called the Trentino hyphen Alto Adige is it's actually one region that's kind of split into two different regions. Mm-hmm. So the main, uh, the region in the <clears throat> north is the Alto Adige, and that's pretty much German speaking. Actually, it's a German speaking area in Italy. And then huh. the Trentino is south, and that's more uh, Italian-speaking. So, I've seen Trentino a lot. So Trentino and this area are, um, in combination with uh, Veneto and the Fruelli, mm-hmm. are, it's a huge Pinot Grigio region. Okay. This is where a lot of Pinot Grigio is grown in Italy. Mm-hmm. So high altitudes, steep slopes, um, which increases sunlight exposure on the grapes. Uh, they're harvested earlier. So we have that nice crisp, uh, crispness. Mm-hmm. The historic name of this area was called Suditral, Sudtrial, uh, which is Austrian. So this used to be an Austrian oh, part, part of Austria, which is why it's German. Yeah, uh, and it was seceded to Italy after World War One. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. What do you? What makes this? Uh, like, what would you eat this with? I guess just like light cheeses and things like that. Like. I, I would not be able to drink this on its own, for sure. I 
would need something with it. Yeah, I think this is definitely a antipasti situation. Mm-hmm. Cheeses, meats. It needs uh, it needs some food. Mm-hmm. Uh, this region is just very diverse. You know, even mm-hmm. though it's growing the same varietal, I think it's really interesting that you have this Italian part and this like mm-hmm. German part, and that. They make this amazing. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't call this amazing. I I think I got more of a um, a very gravelly bit. I think I got a more like mainstream wine. wine. Yeah. So I'm not really getting like an artisanal wine here. Not saying that that's not bad. This right. winery's been around a while. They've pioneered. They make a lot of uh, Italian wine. But, but no, I, I feel you. It tastes like you could take the label off and you know stick something generic on it, like a critter. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it's like a critter wine of mm-hmm. of this area, which is too bad because I was really hoping to find a nice expression mm-hmm. uh, of this area. So um, on the bottle it says it is from the DOC of Valvadej, which is actually just a uh, two grape it's grapes from two areas in the uh, Trentino and a little bit in Veneto. So this has got some Veneto grapes in it as well. So I don't think it's like a pure, pure mm-hmm. uh, Trentino. Okay. Although it is. Um, all right. <clears throat> now it's time oh. for me to stop so I can go get the other ones. Okay. <laughs> uh, but first I want to talk about this uh, 2017 Pinot Grigio. Uh, the wine producer is Zio Baffa. Oh, oh, Zio Baffa. Sure. Yes. Zio Baffa. This is actually really interesting. This these grapes are from Sicily, oh. which is not normally where you would uh, think you'd be getting Pinot Grigio grapes from. Yeah, uh, but south Sicily right? is one of the like the biggest region uh, for wine mm-hmm. uh, in all of Italy. <clears throat> so this is a completely uh, organic wine. So the grapes are from Sicily, but the winery is actually uh, in Tuscany. Okay. So the story behind this one is... And yet they make a white wine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And yet, yeah, it is a white wine. So in 2010, I want to say, this uh, documentary filmmaker named Jason Baca got together with a professional surfer from California called uh, Chris Delmora, who's Italian-American. Okay. And they came to Italy to make a documentary about him refining his Italian roots and also about surfing in Italy. So it's kind of like yeah. a surf, a surfing documentary. Cool. Uh, but they're both, uh, you know, environmentalists from California. And they ended up meeting up with this uh, winemaker in Tuscany whose name is Piero Giorgio Castellani. Okay. And they helped with his harvest. So, the, the, like, part of, um, part of the film is them, like, you know, harvesting. And then after this, like, movie came out, they were like, God, we still all really want to work together on something. This was so great. So they started this line. So Zia Baffa, so Baffa is the last name of the director, and Zio is what they would call him on set, uh, uncle. So Zio is uncle. Oh. They call him Uncle Baffa, uh, Zio Baffa. <clears throat> so they make two types of wine. They make Pinot Grigio, and they make, because uh, the main winemaking is in Tuscany, they mm-hmm. also make Sangiovese as okay. well. And it's a very... I started actually watching the documentary, which is called um, Bella Vita uh-huh. uh, uh, at mm-hmm. home. But I haven't finished it yet, but it is very... It's beautiful shots of the... Um, you can surf, apparently, a lot off the coast of Tuscany. There's That's some great cool. uh, surfing waves out there. Gotta so let Michael know that, and he'll be like, let's go to Italy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 99 cents on Amazon Prime. So this is a completely organic... This is a recycled glass. Wow. This is organic labels, organic grapes. 
And this uh, little cork is something called a helix cork. I've seen those on some South American wines. Which are great because it's so much, It's they're so great at resealing the wine again. Like, did you oh. see that pop? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because it's like, it's really. Because it's like a cap that goes over the lip of it. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. Uh, I really actually like this a lot. Oh, I'm excited. This is, that's a cool story. It's a beautiful label. I'm you know, a typical Oregonian that's like, organic, wow! It's, it's, it's got really nice balance of city. It's got lovely mm. notes of almond, lemon, unripe cantaloupe, and a little yellow apple. It's got that nice, it's, I think this is the zingiest of all of the ones that I bought. That is very perfumed, it's beautiful. And these grapes are from Sicily, it's crazy. Whoa, it is zingy. But, that um, kind of yellow apple note carries through. That's nice. Yeah, I have this. With, I, this is really great. I had this with my uh, gnocchi last night. Oh, this is what I had a glass of because it was one of my um, favorites of the yeah, ones that I got. And I just love it. It's got it's about surfing and mm -hmm. history. The history of how it came to be is just born through surfing and friendship and filmmaking mm -hmm. and a passion for uh, good wine. So that is so yummy. And I've never seen. Um, I've never seen this anywhere in any of my grocery stores, so this might be one you'd have to special order. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, good job, Pierre Giorgio and the Surfer Dudes, on making this really delicious organic Pinot Grigio. I want this on a picnic. Mm-hmm. I want to take this to the beach. See? Yeah. <gasps> Adrian, you yeah. found one you like! I found one I like! <laughs> I did really like that German one, too, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think I'm liking them when they are, you know, a little more floral and a little bit um, just more balanced in general. This is, and honestly, this, this label is really, really cool. We'll post pictures of it later, but it's like it's geography of the region, and then it's these little illustrations of waves, which is cute. Yeah, it's super cute. I should also point out that um, your two favorite wines thus far have yeah. been the least expensive ones. Oh yay! That's good to know. Yeah, this is a uh, this is twelve dollars. The Ziobaco was twelve. This Ziobaco is twelve dollars. Mm -hmm. And this the, tastes like a twenty dollar wine. And the I always want to say Pafalf, but that's not right. The uh, false, yeah, is was also a twelve dollar bottle of wine. No kidding. Yes. Everything else was twenty. Really? Yep. You know, yeah, I yeah. wonder if it's one of those things where. The more classic expression is the is the thing I don't like, and so the more classic expression is like the more expensive and yada yada. It's yada. possible. Very possible. All right, uh, we are gonna go to the new world now. Yay. We've been in the old world, uh, so we are gonna go to one of I think my favorite new world region for white wine mm -hmm. uh, is New Zealand. New Zealand. I love New Zealand. Uh, they make delicious Sauvignon Blancs, Chardonnays, and of course. Pinot Noir Gris. Pinot Gris. <laughs> I was like, Pinot Noir. This is not a Pinot Noir, Adrian. I know. <laughs> it's a white wine I know. segment. <laughs> I know. You miss it. You, you're like, I love Pinot Noir. <laughs> you've been drinking so much Pinot Gris that you didn't like that you just really want to, you really want the Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. um, this is a New Zealand 
uh, wine from the Canterbury region. Uh, so the closest city, and I think this is still such a weird name for a city, is Christchurch, which is in the South Island. So New Zealand is split into two islands, uh, the South Island and the North Island. And because we're below the equator, the North Island is going to be hotter, yep. and the South Island is going to be cooler. So we are in the South Island. of uh, This is North Canterbury. <clears throat> so this is one of the coolest maritime regions in the world. Uh, and as I said earlier, it is one of the top three white grapes. Um, after Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. Hmm. So this is from Mount Beautiful, which Aww. had a little gorgeous video on their website. It's a really beautiful area. What I like about this is um, it's not a super old winery, and what they talked about was how normally when you are starting a new winery, you'll kind of bulldoze the existing crap that's there to kind of make room for <laughs> yeah. your vines, and they adapted to the area that they were already in. Oh, so their cool. vineyards are planted uh, with thought, mm -hmm. with the pre-existing nature in mind, and there's a bunch of sheep and winery dogs, and I was like, take me there, take me. I want to go to there. And it's 2015. So this is one of the older ones. Yeah. This one is a Corazi, it's very bready, uh, apricots, wet concrete, kiwi, it's also got uh, pretty some vegetal notes as well. Uh, one of the yeah, things like that a, they mentioned... Like a snap piece. So this... Uh, one of the things they mentioned in their tasting notes is a silky texture, and this is a very silky oh, wine. Yeah. Uh, it was aged on the leaves, which we've talked about a little bit before. It's confusing. It is confusing you, and I think I thought this one would confuse you. It's like it's silky and soft, and oh, there's that kind of like. There's almost like a vanilla almond flavor at the end, but it's still really minerally throughout the whole, the whole, um, mouthful. <laughs> the mouthful. This is weird. I don't understand it. It's challenging my brain. I like it. I do too. Yeah, I like this one. I wouldn't say this one's my favorite, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's up there. Uh, and that's, and that's my time, folks. Oh. Uh, I'll have a secret, I'll have a secret Pinot. Uh, TBD ending uh, for Adrian to try when we get to the blind tasting portion of this podcast. But now it's time to go red, ready, red, red, Malbec. red. All right, we're gonna talk about Malbec. Woo. Um, I'm so excited about this. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. You're trembling. I'm freaking out. I'm You're trembling. trembling. Are you okay? I'm trembling. I'm trembling. Um, <laughs> as you mentioned earlier, Malbec is um. Or the 17th is going to be World Malbec Day, and Woo. it is April 14th right now, and so we are just right smack in the middle. You're going to have all this Malbec for Malbec Day. I know. <laughs> Malbec. We're going to go back. We're going to go back, back, back. Malbec um, is really, really commonly associated with Argentina. It is Argentina is kind of the leading producer of Malbec. It produces, I believe, about 75% of the world's Malbec. Uh, I could be a little bit wrong there, but pretty sure that's what I looked up earlier. Um, and it it is like transforming the grape into making it into like really, really incredible, expensive, high-end wines. Um, but it didn't originate in Argentina. Argentina is a fairly new world, new region. And Malbec actually originated in France, where it is called Cote. Um, and it's actually one of the designated 
uh, grape varietals that can be blended in Bordeaux, but it's really fallen out of favor in Bordeaux. It's kind of regarded way less um, high-end than than Merlot or Cabernet Franc, which are more typically used in, in blending these days. Um, and so now the dominant region that Malbec is actually from, this, this uh, I'm going to butcher this even though I heard it earlier, is the, um, the Coors region. Okay. In France, which is a south, is a southern region. It's about an hour north of Toulouse, and it's very unpopulated. Um, but I love it. Yeah. yeah want to yeah, move there. want to <laughs> move there. Um, and it was, yeah, it's, it goes by a bunch of different names. It, Malbec kind of has this, like, branding problem in France. So there's a lot of different, it's run into a lot of different troubles while it's been growing there. One is that it's a really thin-skinned grape, and so any, like, temperature oddities, any frost is going to be really, really tough on it. Um, it's it's a kind of hard to grab the expression out of it if you don't have the right terrain um, because it's really thin-skinned, but it's really, really, it's pretty tannic, and it's pretty big. Um, so they kind of use it to blend in Bordeaux to make it darker, but it wasn't really something that they were looking for the expression from it. It's pretty plummy, and if it's not made right, it can be real flabby. Yeah, my yeah. favorite term to describe this wine. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of fallen out of favor in France, except for the Cars region, where um, that is an AOC that designates that any wine from that region must be at least 70% Malbec. And it's typically blended with um, Merlot there if it's going to be blended, um, or Tanat, which is a really, really tannic, dark wine, um, even darker than Malbec. Um, anyways, uh, it does grow in many, many other places, though, in the world. Um, now it is really, really big in Argentina where it came over kind of in the 1850s or so, and the way that World Malbec Day came about was um, in 1853, President Domingo Faustino Sarmiento was determined to transform uh, the wine industry there, and so he tasked this French wine soil expert named Michel Ami Pouget um, to bring over new vines. And this was happening around the time that France was experiencing its um, phylloxera outbreak. Mm. Um, and actually, phylloxera didn't really affect Malbec, but there was a big frost that happened around that time in 1856 that really, really ruined Malbec. And a lot of people were like, fuck this grape. I don't want to grow it anymore. It's not working for me. Um, a bunch of quitters. God. A bunch of quitters, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it was brought over uh, into Argentina, and yep, this country now leads 75% of the world's Malbec production. That's a big portion. Oh, yeah. Um, it's interesting because in the wine Bible, it says that um, in France, it's kind of more pronounced Malbec, and in Argentina, it's Malbec. You were like, so more, like more accent, uh-huh. emphasis on the bec. Mm-hmm. And it's because this, because in France, it's um, associated with like a really dark black wine um, and gives you kind of like black teeth. There's mm. this really fun little uh, term that Malbec is almost like, it's almost like a slang term that was generated in France as a joking term for it, which means bad mouth. 
which I love about this wine. It's a sassy wine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just makes it really fun. Um. <laughs> One thing I noticed or was I watched that documentary that I'm mm-hmm. telling you about called a Boom Varietal. Uh-huh. And one of the reasons that they were saying Malbec has a lot of popularity in the United States is because it's easy to pronounce. Ah, and that's what, very interesting, yeah. And I, I mean, this is probably another issue for another day, but I yeah. had to bring it up because it's so bizarre to me because I think we also covered this with another great Merlot. Merlot, Which yeah. is people are so terrified of embarrassing themselves around waiters and waitresses mm. and wine shop owners that they're just like, I don't know the thing that I can say! Malbec! <laughs> so. <laughs> you know what? Take take that as you will. I wouldn't be surprised because um, we like to make we make big fools of ourselves, but not everybody is into doing that. Oh, I love <laughs> embarrassing myself every day, every hour, at least once an hour. I do something embarrassing to myself or in front of other people. Well, the wines up until uh, the, the early uh, 2000s, the late 1990s were of Argentina were embarrassing. Oh, oh that was a good yeah, thing. <laughs> I was like, how It was that? an embarrassment. <laughs> they weren't making high quality wines um, and they had a big economic crisis in the 1980s um, but when they were starting to become um, more stable again they looked to Chile and they were like hey Chile's wine production is doing like gangbusters so let's ramp this up and they started to a lot of famous winemakers started to purchase land um, in the in the big wine growing regions um, get into all of those and they started purchasing vineyards and making really high quality wine um and because of the climate Malbec does really really well there it's that's going to be the dominant grape that's grown there they have uh, Bonarda is a really good one there they do grow Cabernet Sauvignon um in the more northern region which is gonna be warmer <laughs> because it's a set yeah because it's below the equator uh they're really famous for Toronto, which is really delicious white wine i love toronto <laughs> so the the altitude plays a huge part in the growing of this grape because it really really likes a lot of sun but it doesn't like a lot of humidity and heat um so the high altitudes give it 320 average days of sunlight a year and then cool nights. Um, The only things that really, really threaten this grape in Argentina are going to be late frost um, or hail, which reminds us a lot of New Mexico. Like reading about this grape kind of brought us back to, brought me back to New Mexico. I was like, you know, these high altitudes, like 6,500, 7,500 feet um, and all of the sunlight that it gets where it warms the grape, but it doesn't necessarily like, it's not that hot during the day. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, New Mexico is not that hot. Uh, <laughs> it's not. Argentina sounds hotter. Uh, uh, hail, a big hail. Yeah. Winemaker, whenever I've been watching a ton of uh, wine movies and wine documentaries mm-hmm. to really immerse myself in this world, and hail is a big effing deal to oh. wine. Like, if it hails, oh. your grapes are screwed. The wine regions that are going to be in Argentina, uh, Mendoza is the biggest mm. one of all of them. Uh, that accounts for 75% of Argentina's vineyards, the Mendoza region. It, the subregions include the Luján de, Cu- uh, de Cuyo and the Uco Valley. 
Um, other re regions include Salta, the northern region that's famous for Torontes, the Tucumán, the Catamarca, the La Rioja, the San Juan, and then the most southern is the Patagonia, uh, which includes the subregions of the Rio Negro River and um, is pretty, pretty cold. Mm. It's also an up incoming region for Pinot Noir. Um, yeah, it's it's <clears throat> very diverse and it's, I don't know, I just loved reading about all of the... Pinot Noir. Yeah, um, I know. Well, I'd I guess, love to try one from down there. Well, yeah, I guess if you're saying that Malbec is... How do I want to... Malbec? Thin skin, so yeah. it's Pinot Noir. It's, yeah, it had some interesting similarities, even though the the flavor profiles are radically different. Um, I found that depending on where it's grown, it's going to taste radically different than the next one. Um, the mm. typical expression of Malbec is going to be red plum, blackberry, vanilla, sweet tobacco, and cocoa. It's going to go really, really well with red meat, um, barbecued meat, roasted red beef, and Argentina cooks and grows a hell of a lot of beef. So. Yeah, it's it's meant to be. It's a it's a meat eater's wine. I like meat. It also goes really really well with blue cheese, which I have a little bit of as well. Which this is really good. It's smoky and it's got like green mold on it. Yeah, it's very it's a, interesting. It's like a smoky blue cheese, which um, I'm hoping will will do us some good. So I was thinking that I would take you through kind of the history, the historical realm of this so we're going to start with the french one um Take and the french one is this is a 2014 um it's from the chateau eugenie in Cours, france and the name of this wine is the cuvee Tsar pierre le grand which is named after uh the russian czar peter the great <laughs> Oh, so don't we have, know why. So we have a French wine named after a Russian czar. Great. I love weird things. This is 85% Malbec. Uh, it's 15% Merlot, which is going to give you a little bit more of a blue fruit flavor. This tastes to me like a tart, tart blueberry. Oh. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. I, I love it, but it is not going to taste anything like the rest of them. It looks very... It's black. It's like a blue-black color. Mm -hmm. And something that I learned is that, um, you know, depending, like, Malbecs are going to be different colors depending where on the grown, or different, um, uh, you know, strengths of purple or not, but they're all going to have this kind of magenta rim mm. around them, so that's, you know, this is interesting. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a roll. It has a dry core. Real dry core. Um, my notes on it were smoky. Yeah, it is smoky. Not just because I was eating that smoky cheese, uh -uh. but it's um, it's tart blueberry. I got pomegranate, kind of a smoked cedar, which I found that kind of cedar flavor, that like uh, cedar chip flavor, to be pretty prominent in a lot of these. I got like a dark chocolate almond. Like it has a nutty finish, which is very interesting. Mm. Um. Wine Enthusiast gave this 90 points and says that 2019 is the year of drink. I think this could use a little decanting, but I do think it's aged well enough that this is drinkable now. Is this the oldest uh, vintage of your wines today? No. Oh. I have one that's older. I have a 2013. <clears throat> um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I got current, black current shoe leather. <laughs> it's just very interesting. 
I do like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of our Bordeaux tasting. I say like blueberry pie a lot because mm-hmm. to me that's like it's like a dark fruit but also like kind of buttery and smoky. Yeah. You know, I think it has this like nice mouth-watering feel that kind of it comes through with the tannins, but it's not so drying. Like it has, I think that I think that fruit helps out with the tannic structure. The, the Merlot does. So I think it's just a well-blended wine. I think it's a good expression of Malbec, but you know, aided by the winemaker and apparently uh, blessed by the ghost of Gar <laughs> Peter. <laughs> I looked up uh, Peter the Great because I was like, I don't know anything about Russian history, and I guess he was uh, associated with modernizing Russia, and yeah. he founded the capital of St. Petersburg. So I was like, okay, I get why somebody named this after him. Also, this was a screaming good deal. I got this at um, Park Avenue for under 20 bucks and it was like $50 online. So <laughs> I might buy some more of this and let it sit around a couple of years. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, if you find a wine that you like and you're getting a good deal on it, fucking get a cake. Mm-hmm. Splurge, splurge, baby. Um, So that was France. Oh boy, here we and, go. And uh, none of the other ones are gonna taste like that. <laughs> Maybe that's why I liked it. Um, I <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm scared, Adrian. Hold me. We're going to go to Mendoza. 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 This is going to be... 75%, you said, right? Of the total output of, of Argentina's wine is yep, from Mendoza? from Mendoza. This is the mega wine region. This uh, Mendoza is sitting at the foot of the Andes Mountains. So it's still really high elevation, but it gets that nice, like, cooling air. It gets a lot of sun. Um, this winery is called Kaiken Estate and it's named after the Kaiken Goose that crosses back and forth between Chile and uh, Argentina oh and it God. and when the winemaker purchased this winery he was going back and he was a Chilean winemaker and he was going back and forth from Chile to Argentina and the goose like a goose and he named the winery after this is like begging to be made into a children's book it really is about like the goose the goose the kaiken goose from malbec um this is a really big winery um this is like a mega winery down there so this is going to be kind of on par with you know your saint michelle and things like that which means that that wine production is pretty controlled yeah it's going to be pretty consistent like my santa margarita from earlier which was another totally mass big place for the area um so this is actually less less dark than the one we had before but it is bigger bodied um the the malbec that we had from france was uh 12.5 percent this was going to be a 13.5 um it's kind of a very medium purple a little bit more on the red side um i got i got notes of red cherry red plum vanilla rhubarb jam ripened strawberry uh, that cedar note again, that cedar chip note, and some roasted red pepper. This is like a party wine to me. Like I would bring this to a party. It has a nice firmness to it. It's less flabby than you would expect, but it isn't the greatest, I think, out of all of these. <clears throat> yeah, I see some of those notes you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I definitely get the fresh strawberry. Yeah, some of the cedar. Other than that, mm, it's 
it's it starts out with a hello neighbor yeah and ends know, with a I'm going yeah it's <laughs> a, it's real crushed red fruit and honestly that's not really something that I typically associate with Malbec so I'm kind of con- this one threw me for a loop it's got a little bit of plasticky taste at the end which I'm not mm-hmm. sure I like. I don't know. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The winemaker's notes. Um, this this wasn't aged very long. It was aged six months in new and used French oak. Um, and honestly, uh, Malbec doesn't see a lot of oak contact. It, like really, the aging on it is usually going to be about six to twelve months. Um, the grapes are grown in alluvial loamy soils, so kind of like a you know riverbed soils. And that's going to be the majority of, of Malbec grown in that region. This wasn't my favorite, um, but it just, yeah, it doesn't really remind me of Malbec. I, I get smokier notes on the Malbecs that I'm more accustomed to, and this one doesn't really quite do that for me. I think it's still kind of a nice, consistent wine, but I don't think it's really... It's just it's just good quality for the price. This yeah. was like a $10 wine, and... It's pretty damn good for ten bucks. <clears throat> yeah, so far France is in the lead. Yeah, sorry Argentina, That's but okay. we're going. We're continuing to go we're other places in Argentina. I hope. I think what you're gonna see as we go to the next region in Argentina is how much altitude plays a part. Um, so that was high altitude. Well, the next one is um, from the Patagonia region. Ooh, I'm going to go. Yeah. Oh, I really want to go to the Patagonia. Me too. Um, this is the Rio Negro region of the Patagonia. This is from a winemaker called Bodega Noemia. Noemia, I think is probably how you're supposed to pronounce it. This one I drank the most of, so you can tell I liked it the most. Um, I know I pointed that out, I was like, Adrian, you have a glass of that one last uh, time? <laughs> and a nice little wine story around this one. Um, it was uh, an old semi-abandoned winery um, that had been planted in like the 1930s era. Um, the, there are these two people. One was a countess. Countess Noemi Marone Zinzano from Italy and a Danish winemaker named Hans Vindigier. Um They came and bought this property in 2004. Um, even before they fully purchased the property, they were buying grapes from this from this property and making them like in an old shed in a fruit packing company. Yeah. They make uh, a couple different varietals. Malbec <laughs> is the predominant one. Um, they make Cabernet Sauvignon and um, yeah, and then blends of the two. Um, and this one's called Alisa. It's the entry level in their wines, and you're gonna see that it is <coughs> excuse me, just way more elegant. It's darker than the one we just previously had. It's very. It almost looks like a Syrah. Right out, right out the bottle. Right off the bat, it's a it's a little bit less bigger body though. It's a so just more extraction on the grape. Thirteen um, percent is the ABV here. I got notes of plum, black cherry, cocoa, and leather. Um, I got a salted plum flavor. It has a savoriness to it that I like with a nice smoky finish. I'm getting some like anise. Yeah. Uh huh. Is it the um, nice? And I just am crude and say anise. No, I think you can say it either way. Okay. I've heard it both ways, like not predominantly in one way or another. Anise does sound a little bit more delicate. Than yeah, anise. Liquor, you gotta say licorice, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
These are, this is made from 40 year old vines. It's uh, aged 11 months in 40% old slash neutral French oak and 60% in stainless steel. The grapes are destemmed because this is a fairly tannic wine already. Um, mm -hmm. It's fermented on controlled yeast. Very little extraction, which is surprising because it is a dark ass wine. <laughs> I'm trying it with some meat. Yeah, try it with some meat. I love British wines. I think the acidity is, I think what happened here is the cooler temperatures allowed for more acidity in this wine and it stands up a lot more to that big plum flavor. It's like acidic without being tannic, if that makes sense. It's not mm -hmm. really, it's not drying out my right. mouth as much as maybe the first one. It still has some like, yeah, medium tannins, but they're more velvety, you know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Also, you know, again, I mm -hmm. think when you hear such a fun, unique backstory to a wine, yeah. you almost, like, appreciate it a little more. bit more. Yeah. And I think of, um, you know, the three, I would say that the the French one is the most savory, the most herbal. The Kaiken is definitely really, really fruity, and this one falls somewhere in the middle. Hmm. All right. On to the last one, which, honestly, I think you're going to like the least. Oh, funny. Uh-huh. Um, this is a 2013 from, uh, a 2013 Malbec from the Horse Heaven Hills, which is in the Columbia Valley of Washington. And I was like, what? In Washington, Washington? Malbec? Okay. I guess that makes sense. They get a lot of sun. It's kind of dry. Washington loves those big red grapes. Uh-huh. Um, this one's going to be the heaviest out of all of them. It's a 14.1%, which I was like, why is the, what's with the one? <laughs> You gotta, you gotta, it's for science! <laughs> um, it's a little more red, but it's still pretty dark. Um, 2013 was a weird year, I know, in the Northwest. Um, this is a big wine. Big, big, big. Apex Cellars, the, the producer of this wine, was founded in 1988. They were bought out by the holding company Precept Wine. Um, who owns a bunch of different wineries, including Gruet. Um, the brand House Wine, which you see a lot in the store, New Ridge, etc. Anyways, they shut down Apex Cellars, and they're currently closing up their inventory, so I got this for a screaming deal. Um, oh. I tried their Sangiovese, and it was really good. I liked, I was I was there. Yeah, and honestly, I liked, I liked the Malbec at first, but the more I drink it, the less I like this one. Um, I got Red Plum, Blackberry Vanilla, tobacco um when you drink it you get fig and hoisin and hickory oh yeah it's very plummy mm -hmm. poisony yeah i mm -hmm. get that so they're closed so this, this winery is no more like this winery is no more oh wow, interesting i feel like this is a first. collector's wine yeah, yeah i guess um i guess i guess <laughs> this kind of reminds me a lot of the merlot we were drinking previously i think that malbec doesn't do well at low altitude. Um, I think this would go fine with like, you know, a big like meal, like a Thanksgiving type of meal or something, but like on its own, not really that interesting. Mm -hmm. But but that's not to say that this winemaker isn't good because that Sangiovese we had was really amazing. I think this is just kind of a weird dud. So yeah, I hope, um, I hope I gave you a good little tour of Malbec. You did, are there, oh. Aww. Um, it does make me really want to go to Argentina. Apparently, they have like crazy, you know, like wine tours and expeditions and like really high end stuff down there for 
experiencing the wine. That sounds really cool. Yeah, and 320 days of sun, sign me up. Right? Oh my god. <laughs> real nice. Um, it's going to be really, I, what I love about this wine is it could be really, really different depending on where you get it from. Love it. Yeah. Uh, I feel a little bit more swayed into, you know, I think seeking out uh, Malbec. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I would, I would probably give Washington another chance, although yes. Washington tends to go more heavily in the GSM Rhone-style Rome, blend direction. I think we should do our wine turn of the week before we get into the wine tasting. All right, let's do it. Um, You guys, something that comes up for us a little bit mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about, like, especially histories of... Uh, what's gone down in certain parts of the world is a little thing called phylloxera. And that's spelled really funky when you see it on the page, and it took me a couple of tries to master it. It also helps that a lot of people talk about it in the wine documentaries, so I'm definitely positive I'm saying it right now. <laughs> um, um, do you want to hear what the scientific name is? Oh, boy. Like the Latin name? Yeah, the Latin name. Do you want to hear me butcher the shit out of this? Yes, oh, please. I love it. <clears throat> Doctolosphoria vitifoli. Wow! What? <laughs> yep. Basically, you guys, this is wine's worst enemy. Yeah, nemesis. It's it's like wine is Spider-Man and phylloxera is the Green Goblin. Yeah. It's like the wine is Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. and phylloxera is Lisa Marie. Okay. Um, it's like the wine is the is Obama and um, the phylloxera is um, the Great Recession and the decline of the auto industry. Whoa! Oh, you went political. I did. <laughs> um, it's like the wine is a family of baby ducks and phylloxera is a semi truck. Trying to kill them as they cross the road. Um, Ooh, I went dark. Uh, it's like wine is the bees, the honeybees, and uh, phylloxera is the deadly chemicals that we spray on flowers and kills them. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we're killing nature now. I know. That's okay. Phylloxera literally does kill nature because it kills wine. Yeah, it's an aphid, <clears throat> and it a, kills the wine. It burrows into the. Um, Rootstock? Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a which is why when like you can take the rootstock and you can transfer it somewhere else, but it's not going to matter because it's in the wine. It's in the vine, literally. Some North American rootstocks were found to be kind of almost resistant to this, and thus what have been is it? yeah, what and have been it? transferred actually to Europe. So oh. and grafted onto old rootstocks. Exactly. There. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, pictures of this are quite disgusting. I get really uncomfortable. Like, I have, like, mild trypophobia. Oh, I do too. Um, oh, God. So it's almost like a bunch of little bugs burrowed into a... Oh, like lots of little holes. I don't need to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's effing gross. Um, and it's a nightmare. And many plagues have swept both uh, Europe and the United States, uh, except for... I believe Argentina. Argentina, um, it's so arid there that it doesn't really affect 
things in that region and it's so high up, um, it doesn't really grow there, Liam. <laughs> Don't look at the pictures of barfing. Um, <laughs> uh, and the reason, the reason we're talking about it is because the timing of when Malbec came over to Argentina, um, the, the blight, the wine blight um, of the, I don't know, it was the 1850s or the 1860s in France decimated 40% of France's wine. It's like, that's crops. like the plague wiping out like, like Europe's population. Exactly, like half of it. Like, that's just gone. Um, interestingly enough, it didn't really affect Malbec, from what I heard, in, in France. I don't know if that's just because they have it, had less of it planted. Stop looking at pictures and grossing yourself out! I'm trying to just read Wikipedia, and then it keeps oh. showing all, like, this isn't even that gross, but it kind of is grossing me out. It's like a leaf. Showing mm-hmm. the galls that are formed during a phylloxera investigation. <laughs> it's so warty. It's yeah, it's warty. It's like ugh. ugh. Anyways, phylloxera is no good. If it happens to you, you're fucked. Uh, also sounds like an STD. It also fine. sounds like an STD. So um, if you don't want to mess around with phylloxera, either have phylloxera-resistant rootstock or grow your wine in Argentina. I don't know what else to tell you. Oh, no, it says that Chilean wine has also remained a phylloxera-free because it's isolated from the world by the Atacama Desert to yeah. the north. Yeah, Great. Oh, um, interesting. There's also some other regions that have apparently have been unaffected. Mm. Uh, it's never been found in uh, Australia, oh. Western Australia, or people, Australia, thanks. Um, <laughs> Uh, the Riesling of the Mosul region has also remained uh, untouched by the, phylo- by the phylloxera because uh, the, the parasite is unable to survive in slate soil. Oh, interesting. Uh, anyway, if you want to see some really epic gross pictures of this, you can just hop on the old Wikipedia. Hop on the old Wikipedia. I think it's time to move on to the blind tasting. <laughs> All right. Blind tasting time. Uh, mm-hmm. We're gonna take it, take it back to me for a second. All right. I've done my famous uh, blind tasting wrap job of aluminum Ooh, foil and, and blue painters tape <laughs> and blue painters tape. <laughs> this wine was heavily branded, so I really needed to um, cover it up. All you know is that there's got a little bit of a green label. All I know is that yes, yeah, it's a cap. <laughs> it's got a green label, and um, that's all I know. This is one of the wine grapes that I talked about, which is <laughs> just literally the same one. <laughs> it smells pretty good. Definitely has a little bit of that melon going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I got almond, marzipan. Yeah. I got um very apple-y on the nose and the yeah. mouth. Like smells like apples, kind of tastes like apples. Um, a little bit of lime zest. Um, somebody, uh, not me, described this as crisp. Um, I wrote down not so much. No. <laughs> I don't um, think this is very- it's refreshing, but yeah, crisp is not what I would go for. I would say this is like. Apple-y, melony, floral, um, definitely apricot in there. Um, do you like it? I do. It has a little bit of, it's like a touch of cream or something in it, too. Um, I do like it. It's, do you think it's a Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio? I think it's a Pinot Gris. Um, and I want to say it is New World, and I want to say it's from Oregon. You <laughs> little thing! <laughs> you are, this is a very, you're correct. This is I a, don't know what vintage it is. I'm going to say 2017. Uh, uh, it is a 2017. Well, it is from Oregon. Great job. Yay! Well, it, I had a great teacher. 
Uh, this is a very classic expression of organ uh, Pinot Gris. As I mentioned before, Pinot Gris is the number one grape of organ whites. And crazy, yeah. a ton of people grow it. I've been to a lot of uh, wine tasting events recently. I was just at one for the Columbia Valley AVA, mm -hmm. and every single winery I felt like had a Pinot Gris. It was crazy. Uh, there's a lot of Pinot Gris in the Willamette Valley uh, mm -hmm. AVA as well, which has a bunch of sub-appellations as well. It so. still has that tartness at the end. Um, this makes sense. I mean, like, I think, too, I've been to enough Oregon tastings that they start with Pinot Gris, and so I could kind of identify it a little bit more. Definitely has that, like, peachy tone to it. So, do you want to guess a winery? And then you can open it up. Oh, ooh. Oh, well, guess the winery. Ooh, boy. Guess the winery. Snarf. Snarf. I'm gonna. Oh, I don't know. Is it like. No, I don't even know. Is it a wrath? Because that would be funny. I would be. That would be funny. No, it's okay. You can open it. Okay. <laughs> Oh, is it battle sign? It is. Wow. So, battle sign is I love a, Yeah, so this is a Willamette uh, Valley winery. Um, the more specific appellation being uh, the Shehalem Mountains. Mm -hmm. This has been a winery that's been around for a while. It's actually one of the pioneering uh, wineries in Oregon. Uh, since 1971, I believe, is when it was established. And... They've been a huge advocate in bringing um, Pinot Noir popularity to the region. Um, <laughs> they really, they do a lot of awesome wine education classes. I haven't been out there. Adrian has, but here it's beautiful. Oh my God. And that's the reason, so and that's the reason I picked this one for yeah. you is because you've talked Aww. about how you like it out there. And I was like, let's see if she'll, she'll remember this or not. <clears throat> so David uh, Adelsheim has been recognized for outstanding service to the industry. And yeah, it's just been a, a vital, a vital dude in establishing Oregon's wine rep worldwide. They are classic. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. It's a 13.5. Yeah. It has a bigger body. Um, it says crisp, clean, bright fruit flavors matched with a rich mouth filling texture. I think that's pretty on, on point. Yeah. It's, it's rich. It's not, it's not crisp at mm -hmm. all, in my opinion. But yeah, I want this with like, um, you know, when I think of things that pair well, savory things that pair well with apple, I'm thinking like potatoes and mm. pork chops and applesauce. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be really good. The apple with the apple mm -hmm. there. Pork chops and applesauce. Pork chops and applesauce. What's that from? I feel like it's from like a pop culture reference that I'm missing. Mm. I can't fill it in for you. I'm sorry. God damn it. That is really nice. Yeah. There we go. Not gonna lie. The fact that it's from Adelsheim and I am so partial to Adelsheim is definitely makes me a little bit more in favor of it. But I like that I got it. Woo! Okay, this one. Um, this one is uh, also the great varietal that I covered. So no what? surprise there. Um, no asshole classic. No asshole classic. I've had this several times before. Um, I actually haven't tasted this one yet. I swear to God, if this is a fucking Trader Joe's wine, I'm going to Oh, you. my God. That was... <laughs> so funny. It's not. That's from. <laughs> I like it when raffles to each other in the blind A little taste. bit, it's yeah. It's fun. It's fun. Oh, this smells very... <clears throat> Peppery? Peppery. 
and plummy. A little plummy. A little, mm, that's a little jammy, too. And it's got that magenta rim that they talk about. Interesting. This tastes more like a Zinfandel to me. Mmm. Which leads me to believe... Hmm. I wonder Ooh. if this is... Who the alcohol? I'm like, whoa. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> That's a little boozy. A little boozy. That's a little boozy. Honestly, I think that's another reason why I like Malbecs, because I'm just like, booze! <laughs> I like to taste my booze. It's true. I like spirit forward drinks, and I like I know, big wine. I get so butthurt when I get like a vodka soda, and all I taste is soda. I'm like, come on! <laughs> Vodka's got a pretty specific well, taste. I don't like the taste of vodka, but um, mm. I, I am like that when I get like an old-fashioned that's too sweet or old-fashioned-y. I'm like, I want to taste the bourbon. Fix it. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> I'm going to go with this as maybe, I don't know, I'm getting strong United States vibes off this, mm. which is probably dumb of me to say, but. Interesting. Mm. When you say interesting, that means I'm wrong. It doesn't. Oh, my God. Uh, this is a 2015 okay. peppery. Mm, you know what? You said peppery. You had a lot of emphasis on the peppery, which makes me... I shouldn't have said anything at all. Maybe this is from Chile. Because mm. hmm. I'm sure Chile can grow this because it's so close to Argentina. I don't know. Carmenere is a very peppery, chili-like grape. It's <clears throat> a very different grape. And it's a very different grape. It's very difficult to grow, which is why it's so fucking good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do like it. Damn it. Whatever, I'm just gonna go with my wait, first. Wait, just push it around in your mouth. Push it around in your mouth. I'm gonna guess it's from the United States, okay. California, okay. 2015. And I'm so wrong, <laughs> I'm sure. It is definitely uh, from uh, the Mendoza region. Oh, oh I uh, love the labeling oh, on I this. Love these, oh my God. I love these La Posta wines. Honestly, I'm really, really in love with this winemaker. Um, they have this really good red blend that's mostly Syrah that's just, oh, it's so good and it's so cozy and yummy. Um, it says spice notes with the soft caramel finish, so I understand why you kind of associated that um, roundness with, like a, with the North American region. Um, however, this is definitely 100% <laughs> Malbec, and it is grown in the Mendoza region, and um, I guess the, the person who grew this specifically at La Posta um, is named Angel Palucci. So the winemaker is from Italy. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. I mean, it's Italy and Argentina have a lot of crossovers, so mm. it might have been somebody of Italian descent that lives in Argentina. I don't know. Cool. Love it. Yeah. Do <clears throat> you like that one? I do like this one. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I too. I think for our, you know, tip, we're kind of at the end of our mm-hmm. run here. Uh, I think for our seven things, I should be rating yours and yeah. you should be rating mine. I um, love it. So I also just I love this winemaker. So mm-hmm. when I saw that, I gravitated towards it because I was like, I know that'll be a good one. Yeah, love it, love it. Okay. Hallie, mm-hmm. <clears throat> should I do yours first? Or do you want to do mine first? Um. Yeah, I guess I'll bump it back over right. to you. Um, I'm guessing you probably, you like that German one, which is in the fridge, but we have three out here like right now. I like that German one. Oh, it's going to be tough. Especially after, like, drinking all these heavy-ass, you know, know. red wines. I'm like, uh, how do I remember all of them? Okay. 
I like the Ziobaka the best. Yeah, so good. And then I would say the Adelsheim, and then the German one, even though they're real close, neck and neck. Um, after that, I'd say the Mount Beautiful from New Zealand. After that, I'd say the um, the Off-Dry one. The Alsatian one? Yeah, the Alsatian one. And then the last would be that, that traditional Pinot Gris from Italy that tasted like cleaning solution. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, let's pour a little bit of the Ziobaffa. <laughs> I really, I do want to find um, a classic. I want to find a more classic representation of a Pinot Grigio from that region, though, because it really was listed yeah. as, like, the place for it. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe I just don't like that, and I like the, I like the grape, nothing against the grape, maybe it's the region that I don't like. Maybe maybe that is it. You're just particular. I would say that you are no longer a hater. You're I am just, just a particular. particular. Aww. <laughs> I'm like my dog, Charlie. Aww. He's very particular. Oh, my dog is special. <laughs> Your dog is special. Mine is particular. They're both weird little weirdo sausage men. <laughs> They are. They're both very long, long. With, with lovely uh, uh, bulbous chests. Yes. Uh, 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 gruff little barks. Gruff little barks. Uh, some some hearty burfs in there. Burf. <laughs> Burf. <laughs> uh, Adrian, seven things you would do while drinking mm-hmm. the organic, fully sustainable Ziobafa Pinot Grigio. Well, as this wine suggests, I would uh, go out to the beach and I would do that thing where you like kind of just dig yourself a little pit and you hang out there all day and you, oh. you know, you run back and forth. You have a picnic. You have a, an umbrella that you move slightly as the sun goes out through the day. I would spend the entire day at the beach with this wine. What? Um, number two, I'd go to Hobby Lobby and I would look at yarn samples. Ooh. Um, different different kinds of yarn samples. And I don't knit. But I would admire and feel all the different wine uh, yarn textures. Mm, too, I love it. <laughs> um, I would I would cook um, some wine. Uh, sorry, I would cook wine. No, I would cook. I would cook all the alcohol off some wine and yeah. drink it because I'm gross. <laughs> I would cook some um, chicken thighs with lemon and greens, and I would use some white wine to, to cook with. Ooh, three. Yeah. Um, next one, I would... Ooh, I would buy flowers for myself, which I never do. Four. Whoa. Um, right, is that four? I always yeah. lose track of these. Yeah, four. Um... I would take my dog for a walk, and when he rolls around in the freshly cut grass, I would roll around in him with it. I would roll around in it with him. Five! <laughs> Sounds itchy. It does sound itchy. Oh, no. Yeah, that would be really, really terrible. Too late! Don't take back these! Take the grass! Oh, God! Um, <laughs> don't take back these! <laughs> You're doing it. Um, I would buy a, a big bottle of preserved lemon, and then I don't know what I'd use it in, but I would, like take it out and like eat a little bit of it at a time sometimes. Ooh, sick. Um, I would go somewhere historical, like Pittock Mansion, but like local. 
um, with somebody in town that I had never been to before, even though I've been here for like eight years. I have been to Pittock Mansion, but I'm sure there's other historical sites that I've not visited. I haven't been to Pittock Mansion. You haven't been to Pittock Mansion? We gotta go to Pittock Mansion and have a picnic at Pittock Mansion. Oh my god, I wanna have a picnic at Pittock Mansion with okay, Pinot Gris. You know what? That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a picnic at Pittock Mansion with some Pinot Gris. Oh, yeah! Yes! <clears throat> Great! Seven things. Seven things? Whoa! 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 Clink! <laughs> Okay, I guess it's my, guess it's my turn. Who? this is tough. Burp, yeah. burp, burp, but not really. Okay, I think I know what I'm going to do. Okay. <laughs> I think I know what will be last. <laughs> I want this, which is, um, I really like the La Posta. Mm-hmm. So strange. Cool. Uh, second, I really liked this uh, Cahors uh, wine that was blessed mm-hmm. by the ghost of Peter the Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then I like the Alyssa, mm-hmm. um, which is lovely. And then the Kaiken, and I love its little cute ass story. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, the um, the apex, the apex, which is the soon to be no longer uh, apex winery. And I want to take a picture oh. of these because it looks so great for our Instagram, which you should totally follow. Because we needed suggestions for this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, we posted some pictures asking for some Malbec and Pinot. Uh, green. Oh, I should have paid attention to the Maldex suggestion. That's okay. We can bring them back for we another thing. I didn't back. personally get any Round suggestions. Two. I didn't get any suggestions for Pinot Gris from people. It's yeah. okay. I forgive you, world. <laughs> <laughs> Do better next time. Do better next time. Like, come on. I, uh, you're the internet. You love to give your opinion. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, asking you for it. You I were just going like, to put it on Reddit. People would have been like, well, in my opinion. Oh, mm, Reddit. The opinion mecha center. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess, oh, uh, you know, even though, yeah, no, I'm going to do this again. Cool. The La Posta 2017 from Mendoza. I do want another little taste of the Peter the Great. Oh, yeah, it's so interesting. Um, so interesting. All right, Hallie. Yes. Seven things you do with this La Posta Malbec from Mendoza, Argentina. Uh, I would definitely have a, a meat swap party where <laughs> everybody um, brings their signature meat dish and everyone uh, swaps it and takes it home and leaves. Meat swap. <laughs> uh, have a meat. It's like uh, the modern day uh, Tupperware party. Exactly. <laughs> um, I would definitely have a all day Nicolas Cage movie marathon. Oh, cool. uh, Whoa. Yeah. What'd you start with? Hmm. This is tough. This is really tough. Uh, I think I want to go straight out the game with some National Treasure. Whoa. Yeah. I want to do. Uh, I want to do. Uh, not Cagey Cage. Um, the Nicholas Cage, where he just utters those amazing lines that only he can utter. Like, there's a map on the back of the Constitution of the United States. Um, <laughs> I never saw uh, Wicker Man. I never saw Wicker I never Man. Saw Wicker but Man apparently, either. it's the classic bees yep. thing. Um, God, I really liked him in the Bad Lieutenant movie. Okay, which is weird. Uh, it's very dark. I love him in Raising Arizona. Love him in Wild at Heart. I love early. I love early Cage when he was doing weird stuff with David Lynch okay. and um, the Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. And then I like weird late Cage stuff. I don't know if I like serious. I don't know if I what like was the, serious '90s, early 2000s serious Cage. Stuff. I really want to see Mandy. Oh, I finally Good. watched Mandy. <laughs> oh yeah. It is, uh, I guess the best way to describe it, and I am totally cribbing off what a critic said of it, it's like living in a 
1980s heavy metal record picture. Whoa. It's very it's very psychedelic. It's one of those movies where like the first half of the movie has a very specific tone and then the second half of the movie shifts into a whole different fucking movie. Okay. But it's still the same movie. Interesting. Uh, I can't believe people would watch that movie on drugs. Apparently some people oh, have. Oh god. No. Uh, I, if you have any sensitivities to being on pot or mushrooms, do not watch that movie on drugs. <laughs> unless you want to put yourself in psychological danger. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a terrifying journey through hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so yeah, that was two, I guess. That was two. <laughs> um... Three, I would like to uh, go on a really, like, long walk across town. Just kind of, like, lackadaisically stop at whatever thing fancied my vision. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh. Or desires. Uh, I want to spend a whole day making a badass Halloween costume, because I haven't done that in many years. I keep getting super sidetracked. My life! Ugh. Everyone's like, your 30s are great. I'm like, are they? <laughs> I feel really stressed all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm on five now. Mm-hmm. I would, I think I've said this for another wine, but because this is such a heavy wine, I want to do, like, a cabin. I want to, like, snowshoe out to one of those, like, uh, old fire watchtower cabin converted mm-hmm. things. Yeah, that have, that are out in, like, the Mount Hood forest area. Mm-hmm. I just drank a bunch of mud back by my friends by like one of those fireplaces that like in the center where we're all like huddled around it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, six. Um, <clears throat> I want to make some French toast. Yum. Yum. <laughs> one more. Uh, seven. I want to um, uh, walk really slowly down the Grand Canyon because I'm terrified to do it on one of those mule things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those mule things, a donkey. A donkey, yeah. I can't believe people do that. They're like, trust the donkey. I'm like, no. <laughs> but a donkey's got four feet. We only have two. But, they oh, have a better center of gravity. But what if, like, something spooks the donkey? Oh, that's a good point. Like, those, that's, like, the biggest thing with, like, a quadruped uh, working animals is they get spooked very easily. That's, a, that's the biggest thing with quadruped working animals. Is they <laughs> like a brat get- horse. <laughs> Like a draw horse that doesn't get vertigo. That oh. doesn't get vertigo. Oh my god. I love horses. I'm so weird. They till the soils of the vineyards that make the wine that we're drinking. Mm-hmm. Yep. They business in the vineyard and that probably helps the wine. And they only yeah. have um, three best friends. Like, they only have like two close friends. Like horse dogs. No, horses. Horses. Oh, like you mean like other horses. Yeah, other horses. Not like other people. Like, horses make, like, two close buds. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I feel like you'd be my horse friend. I didn't know. I was thinking that, too. I was like, I feel like I really only have, like, you know, a couple of those really close friends. Yeah. Probably more than two, but... Yeah. <laughs> definitely one of them. Yeah. Horses. 
<sighs> well, that was a really fun episode. It was really fun. I feel so much more educated about Malbec. I feel so much more educated about Pinot Gris and all of the regions it comes from and how many different styles it can it can taste like. I'm blown away. Yeah, if you find yourself being like, ew, I don't like this, mm-hmm. uh, challenge yourself to go learn more about it and where it's from and, and figure out how it can taste different through the regions, like yeah. most grapes. Most grapes are going to have uh, different flavor expressions depending on where they are. Okay. Uh, what are we doing next time, Adrian? Oh, yeah. So uh, we're going to go back to um, our coverage of the noble varietals, and we are going to be talking about Tempranillo. Tempranillo. We haven't really been in Spain no. uh, at all, I feel like. So I'm very excited to, to go to Spain. I'm excited to say more things that I can actually pronounce. <laughs> I also just want to say Rioja a lot. Uh, I'm going to roll my tongue every single time. Oh, yes. <laughs> really obnoxiously. So, it'll be a really fun episode to look forward to. Uh, this spicy, spicy grape from Spain that is also uh, now being grown a lot in Washington and California. And, and Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, yeah. I, there was quite a few, a couple of Tempranillos um, at the Columbia Valley wine tasting event that I was at. Oh, cool. So. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Until next time. Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>